Hey, my name's Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Today we wrap up our teaching series, Molten Moments, where we look at seasons of events in life that involve loss, pain, or crisis. Today we spend some time in Luke chapter 24, and Pastor Eric addresses the issue of nagging doubt and how we can conquer that in our lives. Today we wrap up the series called Molten Moments. And here's how we've been describing a molten moment. It's a season of disappointment or a season of pain or a season of crisis. And when these seasons invade our lives unannounced, because they don't normally let us know when they're coming, they just arrive and we can't really prepare for it. These seasons just come and they invade us and they have the tendency to just kind of melt us down and make us absolutely miserable. Today I want us to think about the molten moment of nagging doubt. The molten moment of nagging doubt. And here's how we're going to describe doubt for the sake of our discussion today. It's not knowing what my next step is, but being certain that God isn't likely to show up and meet me there. It's being uncertain. It's not being clear of what my next step is, but it is being clear that God's probably not going to meet me there because maybe he hasn't done that in the past, and I'm not so sure, I'm not convinced he's going to do it again. And so this nagging doubt kind of comes in. It's being unsure of what to do next while being sure that God likely is not going to meet me there. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been there? That kind of nagging doubt just invading your mind and your life. Maybe there hasn't been a big failure or a big kind of mistake. There's just this nagging doubt and this, come on, God, are you going to be there for me kind of feeling. And that come on God feeling can often cause us to walk away. We've trusted, we believe in God, and we've embraced his leadership and his forgiveness. There's just this nagging doubt, and maybe it looks like this. Maybe it's doubt with God over something that you didn't get. A job, a relationship, a grade, or even a promotion. And you ask God for that, and because you ask God for it, and it's a pretty good thing, you assume that you would get that, but it just didn't happen. And so because God didn't deliver, this nagging doubt begins to sneak in. Can God deliver again? Or maybe it's doubt with God over something that's happened to you. And maybe that thing that happened was a bad thing. And where was God? Why wasn't he there to keep that from happening to me? And nagging doubt enters our minds. Or maybe it's nagging doubt with God over an injustice that we see, and we wonder, when is God going to take care of that? Certainly God can fix it. He's big enough. He's strong enough. But it doesn't appear that he's doing that. And so this doubt enters our mind when we see injustice. Like there's people every day who die because they don't have enough food. 
And we have so much food that we throw it away. And that seems like an injustice. And we talk about and we sing about how God is very, very big. And certainly God could take care of that. God could feed everybody, but it doesn't appear that he's doing that. And we see this injustice. And so we begin to doubt. Or maybe it's doubt with God because I've given him a shot, but I'm not living on easy street. I've believed in God and... I serve him and I'm generous and I'm good with all of that. That's not even a problem. Why is my life so hard? I mean, if I've given that up and I'm doing that for God, why can't life be a bit easier and doubt enters? Or maybe it's doubt with God because the perfect life and the perfect house and the perfect yard and the perfect fence and the perfect spouse and the perfect grades, or the perfect hair, or the perfect whatever, it just didn't happen. And so doubt enters. Or maybe it's doubt with God over, you fill in the blank for you. I want to be real and honest with you this morning and say that I have doubts with God. That happens for me. And often it comes when I sense that God doesn't answer my prayers or at least he doesn't answer them the way I want him to answer them in the time that I would like him to answer them in. He just doesn't deliver on that sometimes. You know, occasionally I think we view God as this cosmic vending machine in the sky. And when we go to God and we ask for something, God should deliver on that because he's God and he likes me and he should grant me what I want and what I need. And so we go to this cosmic vending machine in the sky And then sometimes we get a little disappointed and we doubt when that doesn't happen. Have you ever felt that anger, that confusion, or that frustration when you're at an actual vending machine and you push the button for the Snickers bar and the little thing begins to turn but it doesn't drop, the Snickers bar gets stuck right there and you begin to shake the machine because you're really, really mad? Am I the only one who does that? Yeah, I think sometimes we treat God that way and we begin to shake him because he didn't give us the Snickers bar. I find myself having these conversations with God where I'm saying, hey, I'm not asking for anything crazy here. As a matter of fact, God, I think the things I'm asking for are things that you would want and that you would like, but you don't seem to be answering at least what I want and when I want it and doubt begins to enter. Here's our big idea for today. Don't let nagging doubt keep you from walking with Jesus. Okay? Don't let nagging doubt keep you from walking with Jesus because we do this all of the time. It happens and it enters. And when it enters, we often kind of walk the other way because we get disappointed with God over our doubts. But these nagging doubts don't have to cause us to walk away from Jesus. What does Scripture have to say about this? Well, the paragraph that we're going to unpack today is yet another story of Jesus appearing to people after he had risen from the dead. And we've been on a unique journey where we've been thinking about the different appearances of Jesus and how he met people, where they were at, and he helped them and he responded to them in their biggest moments of need. A couple of weeks ago, it was Easter, and we talked about the fact that Jesus is alive. 
He defeated death. He got up. And because he did that, we can trust in him alone and we can hand over our lives to him because he did that. Last week, we talked about Peter and how Jesus appeared to Peter after he had risen from the dead because Peter had kind of gone back to his old way of life. He had gone back to fishing because he had failed miserably. He had really disappointed Jesus by denying that he ever knew him. And Jesus meets Peter on a beach, and he cooks breakfast for him. And in that moment, Jesus restores Peter, even though he had failed in an epic way. And we talked about how Jesus will do the same for each and every one of us when we fail. By the way, we will fail. It's going to happen. And it's really, really good to know, don't you think, that Jesus will restore me when I fail. Today we're going to talk about the story of two people who were walking down a road to a city called Emmaus. They were probably a married couple. And Jesus begins to travel with them and just have a very interesting conversation with them. So here's what we know about the couple on the road to Emmaus. They were disciples of Jesus. They were followers. And they were all in. I mean, they really, really liked Jesus. They believed they had the bumper stickers and the little fish symbol on their cars or chariots or whatever they drove back in the day. They were really, really into Jesus. They liked him. But they were on their way back to Emmaus, and here's why. Jesus was dead, and the dream is over. And this guy that we've been listening to and we've been following, the guy that we believed in, he's no longer around, so we're just kind of done, and we're going to go back to Emmaus, and we're just going to exist there. But that's not the kind of life that God wanted for them. This story is found in Luke chapter 24, and I'm going to set up the first part of the story, and then I'm going to read to you the conversation that Jesus has with them, where he begins to push on this nagging doubt that entered into their hearts. All right, Luke chapter 24, here's the first part. Luke is the author, and he says, on that day, And that day is referring to the resurrection day. So the day that Jesus came back to life. On that day, there was a couple, and they were traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Now, Jerusalem is the city where all of the activity took place, and this is where Jesus kind of centered his ministry while he was here on earth. It's where Jesus was arrested and put on trial and eventually killed and put in a tomb. So that's where everything took place, and they're now leaving Jerusalem, the center of activity. Jesus is dead. He's done. And they're traveling back to their hometown of Emmaus. Now, that might seem like a very innocent thing, but that journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus represented the fact that it was over, and they were done, and Jesus is gone. So we're not hanging out over here anymore because it's all over. We're going to go back to Emmaus. So in the middle of their journey, Jesus actually joins them. Now Luke says something very interesting in chapter 24. He says that God did not reveal to the couple who Jesus was. He kind of hid that. Obviously, Jesus was a very recognizable figure in that time, and they were disciples, they were followers, they would have known what Jesus looked like, but God hid that from them. How did he do it? 
I don't know. It just happened. And so Jesus begins to talk with them, and he asks the question, what is it that you guys are talking about? And as you read that, you kind of get the sense that they're a bit shocked. Like, really? What rock have you been hiding under that you don't know what's happening? And if they actually asked that question, it would be kind of funny because Jesus could say, well, you know, I was actually behind a stone for a little bit and I was dead, but I came back to life. But Jesus doesn't do that. He just asks the question and they're just shocked and amazed that this guy has no idea what has happened in their culture. And so they begin to tell Jesus about Jesus. And they say, this is an amazing man. And he healed people. And he touched lives. He changed individuals. He was so compassionate and just filled with love all of the time. And we put our political hopes in him. I mean, we were really hoping that he would end all of our oppression. He was the guy And in verse 21, you pick up on how disappointed they were. It says this, We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. We had hoped. I mean, we really believed in him, and we were hoping that this Jesus guy was the man, and he was the deliverer, the one who would free us. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come, but he's dead, and our dreams are dashed, and the one that we followed is not who we thought he was, and doubt entered their mind. That's the first part of chapter 24. Well, Jesus is listening to all of this and taking it in, and how do you think he's going to respond as they're talking about this? You'd wonder if Jesus would respond with love and compassion. I mean, they're sad and they're disappointed because they didn't think Jesus was alive and they're just really, really down with this and a lot of doubt is entering their mind. You'd think Jesus would be full of compassion, right? Well, here's how Jesus responds to this and it's kind of funny. Verse 25, then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. Kind of blunt, don't you think? See, this is how you know Jesus would fit in in Philly. I mean, he just says it right here, doesn't he? Like, what are you guys talking about? You're fools. And that word fool there means not understanding or having an inactive mind. It has the idea that that their minds had been turned off and they were tired and they were down and that's this couple. Their minds were inactive and Jesus really begins to push on that. He's not being mean. He's just saying, you've stopped thinking. You've stopped believing. You're tired. He says, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory. It's almost like Jesus is shocked here. Like you guys knew all of these things. I talked about this and we reviewed the different scriptures. You guys knew all of the stuff was going to happen to me. I mean him. You guys knew that, right? Verse 27, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets 
explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, keep in mind, they're walking here, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, about a seven-mile trek there. And if the average person walking at an average speed were to do that, it'd probably take maybe about two hours. So Jesus has a captive audience for two hours where he begins to explain to them everything that had happened in the scriptures. Two hours. So everybody settle in. This is going to be a long day. Just kidding. Verse 28. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and Jesus has been talking the whole time, sharing everything about himself in scripture. And it was the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. They were like, this guy is great. I mean, let's keep him around. Let's invite him to stay with us because he's really, really interesting. Verse 30, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it, and then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. Now, we don't know everything that happened there, but if you imagine with me for just a moment, Jesus sitting with them, and he takes that bread, and he breaks it, and he might have said, take it, for this is my body. Immediately, lights were coming on, and they probably looked at each other saying, wait a minute, I remember him saying that before. Is this Jesus right in front of us? And he disappeared, and then they said in verse 32 to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us? Heartburn. It's the first time we have heartburn mentioned in the Bible. So their hearts are burning within us as we talk, as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. And this word means to open thoroughly or to open the mind. It has the idea of rousing the interest inside of an individual to what God is doing. And they said he was here right among us and he talked to us and he shared the scriptures and our hearts were burning. Our minds were awakened, and he roused within us everything that we had believed in him. We thought he was gone, but he's not. He's alive, and we're now awake to him. Did not our hearts burn within us? When's the last time you said that about your friendship with God? And my heart's just burning within me for everything that God wants for me, and I want to obey him in such a deep way And I want to know him in a deep way. And my heart just burns for that. That's what was happening to this couple. And so based on this story in Luke chapter 24 and how Jesus interacted with them, I want to share some different takeaways with our group that really addresses this nagging doubt because that's what Jesus was going after with them. They thought it was over. They were going back home because Jesus is dead but he shows himself to them and now their hearts are burning and that nagging doubt begins to change and God can do the same for all of us. So here's takeaway number one. Doubt fades when we drop foolishness. 
And I want to encourage all of us here to drop having an inactive mind when it comes to the things of God. Like this is for all of us in here, every single person. We need to drop having an inactive mind when it comes to the things of God because when that happens to us, our enemy can bring in all kinds of doubt. So it's time to get our minds active, which leads to this burning heart. Let me ask you, where's your mind at? What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about right now? And would you just allow your mind to be God-driven? Because when that happens, doubt can fade. God even tells us, look, I want to transform your mind. I want to change your mind, and I can do that for you. And how do we chase that? What begins the process? It begins when we really seek to put a smile on the face of God and turn our minds on and get really, really active in thinking about what God wants for me as an individual. So let's drop inactive spiritual minds. It's okay to love God. It's okay to do that. And when we get in that lane, doubt can fade. Might not go away. We're human and it might always be there a little bit as we struggle with the different things that happen in life. But when we get in the lane of turning on our minds spiritually to God, doubt can fade. It's possible. Second takeaway. Time with Jesus gives us a burning heart. There is no shortcut. There is no other way. Time with equals a desire for more. It just does. Time with equals a desire for more. So let me ask you this question. As you think about your life and your schedule, what is it that you need to get rid of or begin the process of prioritizing so that you can ramp up your time with Jesus. What do you need to change? What do you need to adjust so that this time with Jesus can be ramped up and this burning heart can grow in us? Because time with equals a desire for more. I want to be careful how I say this, but I'm your pastor and I love you guys, and here's what I see happen to a lot of people. They put a lot of things between them and Jesus. There's a lot of stuff, and they begin stacking up all of these things, and often it's a lot of good stuff. It's not necessarily bad things, but all of this stuff gets in the way between my burning heart and Jesus, and my heart and my mind gets inactive, my heart grows cold, and then we begin to wonder why things aren't working out for us because there's so much stuff between me and Jesus. And so we got to begin taking that stuff away so that this burning heart can happen. Some of the most compelling conversations that I have are with people who are beginning to see that happen in their own life and the lights are coming on and they just get so fired up about following Jesus and spending more and more time with them. And, And these individuals are contagious I love being around them because I struggle with this stuff too. And when you get next to somebody who has a burning heart, it is really, really hard not to follow that and chase that yourself. 
couple of weeks ago, I had an individual come into my office and he started to share a little bit of his life story. And he's just crying and, and I'm crying and he's talking about the different health issues that he has and he's got just a lot of stuff happening in his life. And I really thought the conversation was going to turn to, where's God? And why doesn't he take this stuff away from me? And why doesn't he free me? And it wasn't about that at all. It was very interesting because he said, in the middle of all of this pain and in the middle of my doubt, I have this amazing desire to figure out more about God and I'm beginning that process. And can you help me with that? Is there anything that you can give me to read? And what kind of Bible should I have? And what other books should I add to my life so that I can have this burning heart in the middle of all of my pain? And we prayed together and I gave him some resources and he walked out And as he walked, I said, I want to be more like that. I want that kind of burning heart. And I want to chase more and more of that. And I want that for all of us. Let me just tell you, if the only Jesus you get is on Sunday, it's not enough. You'll starve spiritually. And so we've got to ramp this up and we've got to add this and begin taking away the things that are keeping us from really chasing after Jesus and having this burning heart because when we get that burning heart, it gives us a desire for more of Jesus and when we have more of him, doubt fades. It happens. Takeaway number three, doubt can be reversed, but it takes an intentional step of action. Doubt can be reversed, which is really, really good news. We've got to think about what that step is. So here's what happens to the couple, right? Jesus has been with them, and he's disappeared, and they're all excited about this and fired up. Their hearts are burning. And verse 33, within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. So two more hours, but they were excited about this and fired up. So they started the journey back and there they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. And here's this greeting that Jesus gave. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? There's that word. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, but look at what's beginning to happen. So you've got doubt in verse 38 and now in verse 41, they're becoming filled with joy and wonder. Then Jesus asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? Again, this is how you know Jesus would fit in in Philly, right? This is all about food. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. See, doubt can be reversed, 
but it takes an intentional step of action. What's that step for you? You've got this nagging doubt kind of filling your mind and you're unsure. What's that intentional step of action that you are going to take? Here's what the couple did. After a long journey, they decided, we've got to go back. We're going to go back to where all the action is, and we're going to find the other followers and the other disciples, and we're going to tell them that we have seen Jesus as well. And so they made that journey, and they get in the room, and Jesus shows himself again, and now that doubt begins to turn to joy and wonder. But that all started with an intentional step of action. They weren't going to stay in Emmaus. They're going to go back and get other people fired up about the fact that Jesus was really alive. What's that step for you? Kind of came up with three different steps that everybody might be able to take. And so I want you just to think about where you're at right now and with whatever doubt you might be struggling with and think about these steps. Here's number one. Maybe that step is a regime change in your life. It's just time for a regime change. And it's time to become a God-guided woman or a God-guided man. And take yourself out of the CEO chair and put God there because you can trust him and he can run your life a whole lot better than what you can. So maybe today, as you're thinking through this, It's just time for a regime change. Time to invite God in and just hand over everything to him and ask him to be your leader and to actually let him do that as well. Take yourself out of the CEO chair and put God there. A regime change. Step number two. Maybe it's time for a fresh surrender to walking with Jesus. Maybe you've trusted in him alone and that's something that's happened in your life but you've kind of walked away for whatever reason, and the reason doesn't matter. Maybe it's because of doubt, but you've walked and you're kind of doing your own thing. Maybe it's time today for a fresh surrender where you're going to tell God, I'm going to chase you, and I'm going to take stuff out of the way so that I can develop this burning heart. A fresh surrender. Maybe that's the step for you. There's one more step, and Maybe you're not ready for any of that. You're not ready for that regime change. You're trying to figure that out. And so you're not ready for that fresh surrender either. I just would encourage you, would you keep thinking? And would you keep wrestling and investigating the claims of Christ and what he can do for you and how he wants to be your forever friend? If you're not ready for that regime change, if you're not ready for that fresh surrender, the step is just keep thinking. Keep wrestling with the claims of Christ. What's that step for you? See, nagging doubt is going to visit all of us. But at some point it just happens. The rain comes. Disappointment, pain, crisis, it knocks on our door. And so that nagging doubt will be there. But that doubt, does not have to keep us from walking with Jesus. Father, we're so thankful for our time today and for this wonderful story that we find in Luke chapter 24 that tells us 
about how you meet people in the middle of their doubt and you push on that. You turn their inactive minds into something that is considering you again and you challenge them. And God, I believe in this room, there are probably a lot of individuals who have doubts of some kind about you. Maybe that doubt is real right now and very discouraging and is just melting people down. God, maybe that's a doubt in the past and we've kind of buried that and we're not thinking about it a lot anymore, but it's coming up today. Or God, maybe that's a doubt that is going to happen in just a few moments when we walk out the door and we don't know what's going to happen today and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and maybe there will be something that happens that causes us to doubt that you're going to be there and our next steps are unclear. God, doubt enters the picture, but it doesn't have to keep us from walking with you. So God, I just pray that you'd speak into all of our hearts and help us to figure this out. God, I pray that you give me and that you give every single person in here that burning heart for you, that burning heart that comes with time with you. Help us to get in that lane. Help us to get to that place. I just want to encourage you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. Because maybe you're ready to take a step of action. One of the steps is that regime change where it's time to just turn over the control of your life to our loving Savior, our rescuer. And and you're ready to do that. God's whispering in your heart and you want that. I would just encourage you from where you're at, from your heart to God's ears, just cry out to him and say, God, I want you in my life. I understand that I failed and I've messed up and I'm a sinner. We all are. And God, you offer restoration. You offer redemption. You offer this regime change. And God, that's what I want in my life. And so I invite you into the CEO chair of my life. I invite you in as my leader and my forgiver. Maybe that's not the step for you. Maybe you're just ready for a fresh surrender or you're ready to walk with Jesus and you've had some of those doubts and you kind of walked away. Maybe it's not necessarily a bad thing, but you've just doubted and you're doing your own thing. You've trusted, but you're just not following. I'd encourage you just with your own words, just tell God you want to freshly surrender to walking with him. Or maybe you're just wrestling with the claims of Christ. I'd encourage you to keep thinking about that, keep seeking, keep asking questions. And this is a safe environment and a safe place for you to do that. God, we're really, really thankful for what you share with us about who you are. And God, when these nagging doubts begin to visit us, You are so ready to just get next to us and to walk with us. You're so patient, so patient. And so, God, for the different decisions that are being made, for the different steps that are being taken, 
God, give us strength and courage and hope as we walk out of here that you will help us to follow through. Thank you for your love for us that helps us walk through every molten moment that we face, stuff that just melts us down. God, you're there. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.